coming up today on A Smidge A Day. When you go out on a limb, the further you go out on that continuum towards dogma, you get to a point, and in the psychology literature, they're not calling it orthorexia, where it's a form of an eating disorder, where you are so restricting yourself by food rules. And, and that was me for many years, like having being in a restaurant, going to seeing a menu. Well, I can't eat this because it's high in mercury. I can't eat this because it's fried in oil, bad oils or uh, whatever it might be. This one has gluten. And so being so um, concerned that the stress that was resulting from that attitude was probably more deleterious mm. to my health and impeding <laughs> digestion than if I had just ordered something from the menu. A smidge a day, a funk and vibe kind of space for functional medicine and high vibration conversations. You'll hear interviews and discussions with thought leaders on living happy, full, healthy lives a place where we are mindful of the energy we bring into this space, and we are getting back to our factory standard settings of joy and health. Join me, Katie Rose, your host, certified functional medicine health coach, and happy vibes teacher, as I do it the only way I know how, just a smidge a day. everybody. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited today. Somebody who is very high on a pedestal for me. She's very humble, but for me, it's been very exciting that she and would come on my show. She is originally a student of clinical psychology, specializing in positive psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, and mind-body medicine. You guys know those are totally my favorites. <laughs> Following her passion and intuition for the mind-body connection, she was actually chastised and dismissed by some of her peers and practitioners who would refer to some of her pursuits as quackery back in the day. But she knew in her gut she was right and there was more. And you know, I always talk about there's more and we know it in in ourselves and inside ourselves. So go for the more. She went on to pioneer the work of neurofeedback in attention deficit disorders, became the first psychologist to also be certified practitioner from the Institute of Functional Medicine out of the Cleveland Clinic. You guys know I love that organization. She has taught master's courses in the psychology of eating, be still my heart, and the psychology of well-being and mind-body medicine. She's led corporate wellness company, a corporate wellness company. She has published multiple books, And then at the age of 65, with a beautiful 40-year career under her belt, she launched the Institute of Functional Medicine's sister coaching program, Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, an approved institute by the National Board of Health and Wellness Coaching. It's where I got my certification and rounded out my skills, where my passion has, you know, even expanded further. She's kind innovative, entrepreneurial, strategic, inspired, playful, in service, happy. And through all of this, she's actually calm, (laughs) which is something I might not be able to say. (laughs) She's a self-professed lifelong learner. And she's one of my very favorite things of all. My special word for it is she's a longevian, showing us how to live well and buoyantly long after retirement. 
Her name is Dr. Sandra Scheinbaum. She goes by Dr. Sandy, but I think she should go by Dr. Shine On because that's what she does. Dr. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Oh, good morning. It is such a pleasure to be talking with you. And thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yes, shine on. I love it. Actually, my older daughter, uh, who is a performer and writer, and she um, was looking at uh, shortening her name. And when she was younger, everybody called her shine or shiny. And so she is now Laura (laughs) Shine. And and we should just um, drop the shine bomb. Um, yeah shine is always yeah apple doesn't fall far from the tree there i guess then (laughs) actually uh, bj fogg who's on our faculty created an emotion called shine and it is when you reach your goal no matter how small it is and you it's like an athlete crossing the finish line and you just your hands are up and they're like yes and he said that emotion is shine Yay. Yes. Oh, I love his work. And I I had some small introduction to his work prior to my programming with FMCA with your organization. And then when you guys, you know, took time to dive into that. And um, for those who don't know, uh, BJ Fogg out of Stanford University's uh, Science of Behavior, the Behavior Science Lab, I should say, Um, wrote the book, Tiny Habits. And my philosophy has always been a smidge a day. And so when the tiny habits came up, I'm like, yes, this is, this is Stanford saying you're right, Katie. (laughs) So thank you for sharing him with me and with the world. But yeah, it's definitely something huge to come from that place of celebration and shine. And you do that so well. If you would be interested, I'd love to talk a little before we get into coaching and some of the other things. I also have a passion about food relationships and the uh, of food and our relationship to food. And I love that that's a part of your teachings and, and quite a bit about what you do. And That's something that a lot of the listeners who follow me focus on and look for me for advice and guidance on. Would you have any bits to share with us in that category just to talk about it loosely? Sure. So uh, what I have come to realize over the years and personally and looking at research and looking at the literature and psychology and particularly positive psychology and what really constitutes wellness and that includes what we digest and uh, have really seen the value of being in balance and not dogmatic, not rigid, because we see it all the time. People who have adopted a way of their it's like a religion. So Mm. where their food becomes just driven by food rules. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a raw vegan and I can't eat anything. That was, I spent a time like that. And I, I shudder when I Mm. think about it, it was back (laughs) in around 2000. And uh, yeah, I mean, nothing cooked would, uh, would, would be allowed. I remember I even had a dinner party and I subjected these poor guests to like these raw (laughs) meals. What was I thinking? And, um, but so when you go out on a limb, the further you go out on that continuum, 
towards dogma. You get to a point, and in the psychology literature, they're not calling it orthorexia, where it's a form of an eating disorder, where oh. you are so restricting yourself by food rules. And, and that was me for many years, like having being in a restaurant, going to seeing a menu. Well, I can't eat this because it's high in mercury. I can't eat this because it's fried in oil, bad oils or uh, whatever it might be. This one has gluten. And so being so um, concerned that the stress that was resulting from that attitude was probably more deleterious mm. to my health and impeding <laughs> digestion than if I had just ordered something from the menu. Not to mention the fact of the disruption that was happening uh, amongst the people I was with because food is social experience in many cases. And yes. so uh, we see this with parents and children as well. So I was that parent. I raised my daughters. Um, we were vegetarians. And uh, and there, as they got older, there were food battles. And they remember those days where they didn't want to be with me. They didn't want to you know, have dinner at family dinners because they knew that I didn't have to say anything, but they knew that I would be scowling or food in a restaurant oh. and they would order something. And now today, last, uh, what I um, just went out to dinner uh, with my family and we went, it was a, a great restaurant. If you're ever in the Chicago area, Northern suburb, it's called Bob Chin's Crab House. It's been there for like ages. And okay. so like 10 years ago, I would have been like, oh, you know, there's, uh, she's ordering something with gluten and look at all this, you know, what's it fried yeah. in? And, oh, I get, if I get a side of broccoli, but what did the oil, like all of these questions and, <laughs> uh, well, I'm dairy free, but I ended up getting the lobster, uh, which was the, and I said, okay, what the hell? I'm going to get the butter. It's like clarified <laughs> butter. It has no milk solids anyways. And uh. the enjoyment of that experience uh, really far outweighed uh, the uh, trying to micromanage. And so uh, what I have seen over the years is that any theory that people think they're 100% right, you know, and today yeah. it's the plant-based people uh, and the vegans, and then the theory changes the, because the research changes. Yeah. So it used to be fat-free. Oh, God, and it yeah. was, you know, uh, <laughs> Um, and we, we all got fat on snack wells. We all got we? fat on snack wells, exactly. <laughs> uh, and now, you know, butter's bad. We let's have margarine. Well, now margarine's bad. Butter's good. So, you know, the, the research is evolving. It keeps changing. And and so, I, I think that at the end of the day, we want to be open minded. We want to enjoy food, and we want to have the healthiest food possible. Uh, but we cannot do it 100% perfectly. And that comes from cognitive behavior therapy, where you are messing up your emotional state because you are attempting perfectionism. Yes. Oh, I love everything you just said. And it, it really hits home because, you know, the, the reality is, is we also have to look at the, the choices we make daily add up, but if we go out and we're with family and friends and we can experience something, you know, that moderation, everything in moderation, right? It's, it's an age old um, saying for a reason. And, you know, we understand now that cancer forms through the toxic stress and the energy we put on ourselves and that, you know, it, it holds in the body and houses in the body, these negative experiences. And if we walk around stressed out all the time over every little thing, 
you're right. What is the damage we're doing on an emotional level and just the, the pleasure of life? And then you see some, you know, 97 year old guy smoking a cigar and having scotch every day. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that that's a, a, such a wonderful contribution and understanding that a fixation on a way of eating is also an eating disorder and to create space and, and balance and to understand that, you know, that we can have a tide. I always like to refer to the tide in so many things because it flows in and it flows out. And that's, you know, if we can look at our relationship to food as a very free form, but, you know, understanding the basic laws of things. And then, you know, also the detox element of it, you can enjoy a little bit more if you're, you know, sweating this week. And people think it's just calories in calories out with the sweating, but it's really about the detox story and what that does to our body and gives it a chance to release those extras that we brought in, you know, on a, on a treat dinner kind of thing. Absolutely. Oh, you spoke about that so beautifully. I I would love to just go on and on about that with you, but um, I also want to talk with you. You have such a, a beautiful practice around your mind body connection and you're so devoted to taking time for that. Can you talk about helping people with with that, that bump in, you know, they're, they're busy, they're parents, they've got to bathe the kids, put the kids to bed, get up the next morning, make the lunch, get to work. Can you help speak to where and how one can start to create space in their life for that, that practice? Absolutely. Many people think that mind-body practice has to be a timeout. It has to be dedicated. So for example, they might say, I'm going to have to meditate twice a day. Maybe they've been told that uh, you need to meditate. You need to uh, just stop everything. And that may be good. There's definitely benefits from that. But it also may de deter people from the real opportunities that are throughout the day. So for example, mm. you can... Uh, spend 20 minutes a day meditating. And there have been studies that will show that that, let's say you do it in the morning, and then you may float through the day in a more relaxed state, but you may not. Depends on the circumstances. So if the day is pretty predictable and there's nothing that is disturbing, unanticipated, yes, that could happen. But what if you get that phone call that is very upsetting? Or what if that it's you are in the midst of an experience that is going to throw you and then you go into that stress response? So the best mind-body practices are sprinkled in throughout the day. It's just like, mm. you know, you don't say, well, I'm only going to take breaths for 20 minutes twice a day <laughs> throughout the day. And so you are, you want to have this moment by moment awareness of taking a breath and where you're holding in muscle tension. So for example, are you tending to hike up your shoulders? And just a simple act of just doing some shoulder circles and placing your shoulders on your back can make a world of difference. And you're going to then 
experience a different physiological state. And yes. add to that some notice. It's going through your day with an awareness of what's good. You know, we have studied, and, and you know this in the study of character strengths, a very important one is appreciation of beauty and excellence. So mm. as we have a window, I glanced out the window and I just saw the trees and the blue sky beyond. And it's just a split second that, oh, that's beautiful. And it's restorative. And you don't have to go someplace to do that because you have your imagination. You can picture it or you can just look out a window or you can feel it. There's a classic um, mindfulness exercise where just like, let's say you're washing dishes. So you take chores, you're washing dishes. Well, you notice the feel of the water against your skin, for example. Uh, You take delight in this dirty plate and now it's clean and job well done. So it's just those moment by moment awarenesses that is the real mind body medicine. And perhaps it's just a body scan, which is you just take a, a belly breath. And then as you exhale, just had to tell you, just imagine the sensation of something that is going to be bringing you joy from head to toe. It might be uh, like you step out and sunshine is really great to go along with this. So Mm. there's been great research that shows all you need to do is step outside first thing in the morning. And even if it's not sunny, it'll have that impact. So yes, um, even if it's like really cold weather, well, then you appreciate the cold and waking you up whatever that might be, you just go with what the circumstances are, but you take, you spin it so that it is going to be positive. So as you feel the sunshine and you just imagine drawing it in and every cell lighting up with healing. So using your imagination, which is quite powerful uh, to create this. And and it can be childlike because kids have great imaginations as they play and you want to replicate that as an adult, just little microbursts throughout the day. Yes, yes, I love that. And you know, it's funny, because so much of the time when we talk about things like stepping out into nature in the morning, or, or any of these practices, where my mind goes to is the, the origin of man, you know, stepping out of that cave or stepping out of that teepee, our ancestry took that action over and over throughout generations. And that first step, you know, and Generally, that was, you know, to go relieve yourself, to go to the bathroom, right? But whether it was getting a gust of cold air in the face or a bright, warm sun or, you know, just whatever was happening outside of that enclosed space, that was the first adventure of the day. And and it was a taking in that moment. And I also, I just think about, you know, where our bodies have throughout the history of man responded to things and seen it as the start of the day. And to set that circadian rhythm for later in the day to give us better sleep or, you know, so when you talk about taking that moment early, it, it, it connects with who we are as a species. And then, you know, we get so caught up in our hunchedness on our computers and focusing on our thoughts and so cerebral. We used to be a physical man and we used to be, you know, out in the, nature all day or, or, you know, somewhat, 
Um, and so I think, you know, just those moments to remind us of who we are as a species is really powerful. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, people who are rushing through their day and they've got a lot of chores and a lot of stuff on their plate. And even if you're just, you're just going out to take out the garbage or get the mail from your mailbox, whatever it might be, you incorporate this process as opposed to being lost in just like, oh, gotta, um, gotta take out the trash. Yeah, that makes me think of people who love the studies or Abraham Hicks, that being in the moment with appreciation, that being in the now, the power of now and the power of appreciation and, you know, pulling yourself away and when we clear, when we do that, it literally clears the cobwebs in our, our nervous system and our, our mind. So I, I love that very much. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. You're such a great example. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to talk with you about the progress and the changes of health coaching. You know, 10, 15 years ago, health coaching, you know, kind of fell into that, you know, what people were calling quackery or, you know, somebody sitting with you and just voicing their opinion and not being really trained. Um, somebody who had strong directives and who were, in, you know, trying to initiate strong directives in you, whether it be life coaching or health coaching. But that's really changed. And there's a lot of governance now over legitimizing it and, and making it something that has a standard. Can you share what you've witnessed in that journey and, and the things you see now versus even just a number of years ago? Sure. So health coaching is relatively new as is life coaching. So I was fortunate that the school that I got my doctorate at one of the mentors that I had his name was Dr. Frederick Hudson. This was in the early 80s, and he came up with the idea of a mid-career development institute, and I remember brainstorming with him as he was just rolling this out, and the idea was that these people didn't need psychotherapy. They didn't need, they didn't have a diagnosis. So they didn't have it wasn't a mental health issue. They were just at a point in their life where they needed some support in terms of like, where direction should I go with my career? How do I have a, a life that I will say is a life well lived, balanced between mm. work and play and my family? And so he started training people to be health coaches, not health coaches, life coaches at the time. Okay. He, it became, uh, he launched the school for training coaches, executive coaches, for example. And then health coaching was a spinoff of life coaching. So it um, started to appear then that in around uh, 20, uh, early 2000s, but you still didn't hear about health coaching. There were some schools that started and it was really considered almost like a a vanity profession. In other words, it wasn't considered legitimate as a career sure. for people who were um, maybe like, oh, I want something, you know, fulfilling. And uh, what can I do? Well, I can, I'm interested in maybe nutrition, and I can study and I can be call myself a health coach. And there was no regulation, no standards. And the model really was about you give advice to people. You, uh, uh, let's say, uh, it is a the typical 
uh, would be somebody who has is very interested in their own personal health, and now they're going to help other people live the way they do. And around 2012 or so, there were a group of people who were the major proponents of health coach that felt it should be more. There should be research on it. It was Dr. Ruth Walliver, Margaret Moore, uh, Meg Jordan. Uh, they, are Mike Arlosky, uh, many of those um, are my colleagues. They they taught for us. Uh, Meg Jordan is our one of our core teachers, as is Mike Arlosky. And so they formed, they said there need to be standards in place. So how do you know if somebody just says, I'm a health coach? Well, where did they train? What are they doing? This is, you know, lives are at stake here. So, so yes. they came up with a, some minimum standards and established what is now the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching. Schools apply to be approved, which means that their graduates can sit for this exam that the National Board administers. And so we, or we were one of the first schools to get that approval. Yay. So uh, now it is uh, really taken off. And what, what does that mean? It means that uh, it is not just um, somebody who in their spare time, uh, perhaps, you know, is, is having seeing some clients, um, but it is more uh, the, the medical community realizes even the yes. ADA supports health coaching they have for some time, uh, medical practices, corporations interested in the health of their employees. And there's been some major developments that is there's, we now have for health coaches a taxonomy code. What that is, it's like an identification number. And when you are filling out um, an insurance claim, you need that. And so yes. now the health coaching profession has its own code, its own taxonomy code, just like psychologists and dentists and every other medical professional. So yes. this is very, this was a real step forward. And it is huge. A, yeah, it is really huge that the establishment recognizes this is a legitimate healthcare profession. And it is on the road to getting approval so that ultimately, and it's a matter of when down the road, but not that much longer, you'll see a reimbursement for the services of a health coach. There are the major insurance companies like Cigna, for example, they hire health coaches and often it is part of their uh, the benefit plan if you have that coverage. So there's many examples of this. And the other thing that's been huge is we now have studies. There are randomized controlled trials, which is the gold standard in research where you're studying one group gets health coaching, the other group does not. And they're looking at the differences and just about, not just about every study has said in a minimal number, like five sessions, significant advancements. We have our own yes. um, on, ongoing research. And so this is, again, another way that we're legitimizing this profession. I love that. And, you know, the fact that you've been able to witness this and be elbow to elbow, you know, with the, the other parties who've been part of making sure that this is something that has standards, that comes from a place of quality, that comes from a place of true service and not just, you know, um, 
I don't know, kind of a firing out there, seeing what sticks to the wall with each patient. This is working in known modalities that serve individuals. And like you said, the, the research is showing, you know, hand over hand that this is something that is consistently with a few number of services, a few number of visits is showing huge results for the efficacy for these practitioners that, you know, so I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about, you know, the value, because you, you started on that and, and um, you know, started to kind of point in that direction that this is a real value for the practitioner and the patient for, you know, a triangle of service. Yes. So uh, for the patient, what happens is their biomarkers improve. And why does that happen? Well, everybody who has been to a doctor or another healthcare provider and they get a list of recommendations and often they're very hard to implement. And especially if they're going to somebody who might like a nutritionist and they have a whole laundry list of supplements to take, well, how do they do this? Or they're told to exercise, for example, and they get overwhelmed and they can't sustain it. Maybe they start out like gangbusters and then fall off the wagon. A health coach is the behavior change expert. They are there helping you every step of the way. They are the key to making that change. They're also your advocate. They are the liaison between you and the medical system. They can help you and advocate for you. And this is very significant. On the other end, what about the medical practice? Well, there's some studies, a lot of studies now showing that when you have a health coach in your practice, everyone benefits. We have a really bad problem with doctor burnout. And so uh, when you have a health coach, they lighten the load for you. They also are bringing in a culture of wellness to the practice. And so doctors feel better. The other staff feels better about the uh, fact that here's somebody. They can also be that advocate for the practice. Like, let's say there are uh, people who might be unhappy customers with that practice. And so a health coach, as you know, we're trained to really build rapport, have trust, have honest communications and listen so that that individual, perhaps they were really upset about something, maybe a bill if they think they were overcharged. They're just about to write that Yelp review uh, that would be negative. Well, a conversation with a health coach might be in order there where they can really then reach an understanding and sense that they were heard by that coach, whereas maybe they talked to the office manager or somebody else and they didn't feel heard. And so that's been shown to be of real value. So many practices think, oh, I don't need a health coach. I can't afford a health coach. I've got a nurse. I refer to a nutritionist. Why would I need a coach? Well, that's one of the reasons that um, it is these behind the scenes interactions that can really support the health of the practice, along with the health of their patients, because it feels good if they see patients getting better, you get better, then you're going to write a positive review on Yelp. Yes, yes. Well, and you know, it's interesting, because so much of it is perspective, right? The doctor assigns a protocol or a to-do list to do at home. And the perspective is they're overwhelmed and they go home and they don't know how. And then the 
also perspective of, you know, I'm not feeling like I'm getting the care that I need through this office. And then you speak, and I've had this happen where I sit with a client and we talk talk about and break down what's really happening because we have the time in the session that these doctors who are overworked don't have. And they come away and going, oh, okay, I understand that this actually is for my good. And, and if I, you know, transition the way I look about it, look at it, and then start to, you know, be gentler on the whole process and stick with it, oh gosh, in the end, I'm getting exactly what I wanted. And, and I've seen that myself. And um, I might add to how I came to becoming a coach and, and finding your school originated with my own health crisis and sitting with the doctor and getting this protocol that felt so overwhelming and, you know, finding my way with it over time. But then after that, after recovery and such a notably, um, a notable change in my health, I had a small following of friends and family that wanted now advice on how they could sit with their daily lives and, and change their um, approach. And, you know, gosh, I'm seeing this doctor. He wants me to do this. It's so overwhelming. And we would have these conversations. And after a while that I kind of had an organic, <laughs> you know, not-for-profit health coaching business. And, uh, you know, I say not-for-profit because I wasn't charging anything. And then um, it was one day listening to Dr. Mark Hyman's pharmacy, a doctor's pharmacy podcast. And they said, what do you want to, you know, how do you do this if you want to work in this realm? And he recommended your school. And I, I feel like that was just this amazing event in my life. So a little plug for Functional Medicine Coaching Academy um, in partnership with the Institute of Functional Medicine, backed and, and promoted by Dr. Mark Hyman, you know, world renowned and many, many times New York Times bestseller. Um, it, it's an amazing thing that you guys are doing to help bridge that gap. And, you know, I, I, I even had a, a neighbor across the street before I got into this for full-time work. She came out, she said, Oh, I've, you know, I've got, um, this illness that I'm working through this diagnosis and I just don't know how in the hell do you do blah, blah, blah. I don't know what to eat now. <laughs> and she's like, am I supposed to eat an avocado and that's it for breakfast? <laughs> and, you know, and I, and it is, it's so important to bridge the gap and to be there in service. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I, I'm so grateful to your programming and you leading the way. And for me, it was really important because I had gotten well through functional medicine. Um, and so those who medicine, a lot of folks, you know, connect with me and, and understand it at this point. But for those who don't, functional medicine is getting to the root of illness, getting you back to your factory standard settings, understanding the, the lifestyle habits and choices that feed into illness and not blanket diagnosing or blanket prescribing. Um, and so for me, I'd gotten through my illness and to the other side through functional medicine and a functional medicine practitioner, but I didn't want to, I wanted to capitalize on my understanding of those protocols and systems and then bridge where people need the nurturing, the support, the handholding, um, somebody to light the path. So 
on a personal note, thank you for providing an institution that would help me with all of those desires. Well, thank you for being part of this movement, for the wonderful work that you do, and for establishing this podcast. I love the name, Asminda Day, <laughs> uh, to inspire people to yeah. lead healthier lives. Well, I appreciate you so much. Um, I adore you from afar. We haven't had much time together, but I literally have shown your picture to my significant other and bragged about you long before you ever agreed to be on my podcast. I'm like, I just am a huge admirer. I think that you're doing it all right and you're doing it all meaningfully. And my heart just bounds when I think about what you're doing. And um, I do have a couple more questions. One I did not prepare you with, um, prepare you for, um, my best friend, Jessica is getting her PhD in health psychology. And she's now to the place where she needs to start thinking about a dissertation. And she wants to address a problem in the world, you know, a problem that needs to be solved in the world. And I thought, well, I wonder if Dr. Sandy has any perspectives right now on anything that needs to be solved in the world of anything we've talked about or otherwise for somebody in health psychology. Sure. Well, that was my field, health psychology. And I think that the big problem in terms of the health of people on our planet has to do with being metabolically unhealthy. There was a recent study that uh, was pretty large and found that only 6.8% of adult Americans were metabolically healthy. And that mean they met certain criteria for metabolic health and didn't have, uh, they were not diagnosed with a chronic condition like heart yeah. disease or hadn't had a stroke, it's, et cetera, type two diabetes. So that's for shocking statistics. So that's a big problem. And I think if there's a way to show uh, that uh, people can uh, improve their health and it, it takes very little to, um, it's just those lifestyle factors. Are you getting adequate sleep? Are you moving throughout the day? Uh, what are, are you eating unprocessed food? Um, and then um, looking at, at how you're handling the stressors that are coming at you in your life and your relationships. I love it. And it's such a big, big topic. It really does impact so many, you know, people think, oh, I'm fit, I'm healthy. But you know, that they, they I've heard the phrase skinny fat. You know? Yes, you, your your chemistry is not showing that you're fitting into your genes real well. <laughs> that that is a good marker for carrying extra weight, but it's not a good marker for what's going on with you metabolically. Um, so thank you for answering that. And that's something that I think is a, a, a really if we can get to the root of that in people's choices and as a whole, we can do so much. So I like that. Um, I had prepared you for my, uh, my closing question. So number one is I'd love to hear your current top of mind favorite hack or tactic for health and happiness. Yeah. So, uh, there's, there are a lot, um, but I think it is finding, uh, something you enjoy that involves community. And so for me, it's ballet. And mm. I uh, take ballet classes and it uh, puts me in a flow state where for that 
period of time, nothing else is in my thoughts. I'm just remembering the combination. So it's a mental exercise as well. It is moving to the music and it's being part of a community. So it's a social activity as well. And you see progress, like, oh, I've been trying to do a pirouette since I was a little girl. (laughs) I'm still not there, but I'm still trying. So you see, it's getting better. Yeah, smidge a day. (laughs) It's getting better, a smidge a day. Well, and that, you know, that you talked about community, you talked about movement, you talked about neuropathways, you talked about um, seeing progress, you talked about shine. So there's a lot to that. And so it's finding activities that, that, and flow, right? Exactly. So, yeah. And celebration and appreciation, the good stuff. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any current favorite health or happiness books that, you know, either you've read recently or they just stay with you and live in your heart? Yeah, so uh, there's two, and uh, I am friends with Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and the first concept of her, it's a, was released um, oh, about a year ago now, and it's called uh, The Gap in the Gain. So you oh. ask yourself, am I in the gap? Am I in the gain? If you are thinking uh, something that is negative, uh, you are in the gap. If you are thinking about something that uh, would be positive, like how far you've come, you're in the gain. So, uh, and then his newest one is be your future self now. And that means you, you make decisions now based on how your future self would want to be. And so that can help you to say, so I was at an ice cream parlor yesterday and I decided I'm not going to have any because my future self uh, would not want that because Mm. it would lead to a sugar uh, issue in terms of the impact physiologically. And so I decided, okay, I can stand not having ice cream now. My future self is smiling. Yes, I like that. There was a a little meme that I saw. I posted it this morning, I think, or yesterday. I don't know. I get lost. Um, But it it said something to the effect of, "Is, is this action right now or is this moment right now? adding to my greater, like my greater vision of my life. I know I'm, I'm totally butchering it, but it was, it was, is what's happening right now part of my greater vision? Is it, you know, whether it be, um, you know, watching this show and wanting to have good vibrations, but this is like a, a a low vibration, heavy subject, you know, maybe I want to remove myself out of that because it doesn't feed into the good feeling vibes I've been trying to commit to for my whole life. Or, you know, uh, like you said, having a suite or, or, you know, um, engaging with people who pull on us and, and bring us down or what have you. So I like it. And yeah, the gap in the gain is a great book. I need to revisit it just for fun. So Thank you so much for today. Is there anything that you want to share that we haven't touched on that I, you know, I've just totally missed a beat and could have had a great moment that I missed? (laughs) Well, I think this feels complete and uh, it's been really an honor to be here and and talk with you and honor that I'm your first guest. Uh, So I wish you lots of luck um, in future episodes as you grow this podcast 
And if anyone is interested, uh, they can go to functionalmedicinecoaching.org. In uh, Instagram, it would be functional med coach or personally, I am Dr. Sandy with an I. That's wonderful. And I can't say enough great things. The whole time I was in the program, I kept saying, oh, wow, I know I'm in the right program. Oh, wow, I get this from this program. Oh, wow, this is the continuing education. I just kept saying, oh, wow, the whole time, and I still do. And I thank you for being a mentor, and I thank you for being in my world and for being on my podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Sandy. Hey guys, thank you for joining me today as I do something I totally adore, chatting about health and happiness. If you'd like more great info, shoot me a message with your email address and I'll sign you up for my newsletter with all my favorite tips and tricks and goodies to support your happiest and of course healthiest self. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to like it, follow it, and share it with others. If you'd like to locate a functional medicine practitioner in your area, please visit ifm.org. And if you'd like to take advantage of a free initial consultation with me, of course, I can be found at katierose-coaching.com. That's k-a-t-y-r-o-s-e-coaching.com. Please remember this podcast is only for educational purposes. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I did. Stay well, my friends, and remember it only takes a smidge a day to lean into the life that you've always dreamt of.